Hey, welcome to Access. John here. Today we're going to continue our study on John by talking about the first part of John chapter 7. And I had originally planned to talk about the first 31 verses, but I think God has given me a message by doing something a little different. So as plans have changed in the passage I planned on preaching on, ironically enough, this message is about how things don't always go according to plan. So turn your Bibles to John chapter 7 verses 1 through 9 because this message is entitled The Divine Timetable. Have you ever experienced a time when your plans just don't line up with God's plans? Now surely you know that God has a plan, right? In Jeremiah 29:11, God says to Israel, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Um, God not only has a plan, He has an appointed time for um, the appropriate things. For example, in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says, From one man He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. So in other words, God has determined when you would be born, who you would be born to, where you would live, who your friends would be, when you would die. Now, I want to read a, a passage of Scripture for you, um, Ecclesiastes. Uh, this is a passage of Scripture many people know as um, as the uh, the time when, when God says there is an appropriate time um, for us in life. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3, let me get there real fast. I was supposed to already be there, but I turned somewhere else. Okay, it says, there is a time for everything, a, time, a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal. Uh, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So God has established all of these different times already. Uh, he has an appointed time for everything, and what's even more profound than that is that God is able to bring all of our lives together and all the complexities of our life, despite all the heartache, sin, and suffering, and he makes something beautiful from it. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says he has made everything beautiful in his time, and he has also set his eternity in every human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In other words, we don't uh, we, we, we don't know what's going to happen, but we know, each and every one of us knows that this is not all that there is. Even if we try to convince ourselves otherwise, God has given us limited time on earth and deeply ingrained in every single human being is a sense of that there will be a judgment, that there will be eternity or there will be eternal damnation. So yes, God has a plan. And the frustrating thing is, is that there's nothing that we can do to change it. Ecclesiastes um, 3.14 says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. So everything that happens is according to God's plan. And this is a hard truth when you begin to consider the complexities of why God seems to allow bad things to happen to good people. But this is a truth that is especially important to acknowledge when we study our passage today in John. Um, God has a plan, and there's nothing we can do to change it. And I don't think we, we get frustrated because we want to change God's plan necessarily, but rather when we realize that our plans don't really line up with God's. 
In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, even kind of taunts people who have their own agenda in James chapter 4, verse 13, when he says, Now listen, you who say to, to tomorrow we will go to this city or that city and spend a year there and carry on business and make money. In verse 14, he says, Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So James is calling out these believers for, for the, their approach on how they make plans. He's essentially telling them, you know, I don't know why you seem to think that things are going to go according to plan. God's plan is the only one that matters. Now, there's a saying, um, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And I've come to find that's true. Much of the time, we don't just end up frustrated when we make plans. Um, uh, we, we end up disappointed. And so does that mean that we should give up on our having a game plan? Does it mean we should be giving up on what we'd like to get out of life? And I think when, when we when we are, are disappointed, um, it is because we make plans without God. Um, and so my question is, is, is there a way to make sure that we, we never end up disappointed again? And, and since the, this has an obvious answer, the answer is yes. I think the better question is, since there is a way to ensure we won't be disappointed, can we really follow it? Can we follow that plan? Um, and you know, just if there really is an appointed season, uh, a time for all these things, how do we know the right time? I want to read John chapter seven, verses one through nine. This is an exchange between Jesus and his brothers. It says, after this, uh, after Jesus had uh, fed the five thousand, and after uh, he's told him, "You must eat my body and drink my blood," many disciples. Uh, abandoned him. He says, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I am not going up to the feast yet because for me, the right time has not yet come. Uh, Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. So um, I just want to make a few points about this passage. First of all, I want to say that this world tells us to go after what we want. And I think this is this is pretty um, pretty obvious. If you spend ten minutes in the world, you're going to run into some form of, of self help book or motivational speaker or a seminar that you can join that sends uh, sends sends the same message. They, there's several different ones, but they pretty much all send the same message. And that message is that you're never going to get where you want to get in life unless you go after it. You're never going to get what you want unless you go after it. And while this message ha- has supposedly helped countless people get their lives on track, it always comes with a subtle, deceitful message. And that message is the only thing that really matters in life is what you want. So go after it. Go get it. And I think this is a message from the pit of hell. And that's why I find messages like, reach for your dreams and if you believe it, you can achieve it. So incredibly offensive. Your life isn't all about you. And my life isn't about all the things that I want. Notice how this seems to be the response that Jesus gives when he's confronted by his brothers. Um, In in verse 1, it it gives the reason why Jesus purposely stayed away from Judea. Men were trying to kill him. 
And think just a second about the irony of that statement. What had Jesus done? Why were they so angry at him? They were so angry at Jesus because he healed a lame man on the Sabbath. He confirms this later on, and we'll get into more of that uh, during next week's sermon. But here was a man who came from God to open a way for salvation. And men hated him because he didn't respect their set schedules. So in short, Jesus operated on a different timetable than the Jewish leaders, and they wanted him to die for it. In verse 2, it mentions that the, the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near. And if you don't know what that is, in the Jewish tradition, there are three pilgrimages to Jerusalem or, or three Jewish festivals that a good Jew was required to travel for every year. There was the Passover, which commemorated God's deliverance from the Israelites uh, of the Israelites from Egypt. There was the Festival of Weeks, which commemorated God's giving of the law to Israel, uh, otherwise known as the Pentecost, which means 50. And then there was the day of uh, the Festival of Tabernacles, which was an eight-week or eight-day-long ceremony that basically commemorated how God protected the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness. Now, what's neat about the Festival of Tabernacles is that it's basically an eight-day celebratory camping trip. Um, families would come and make little tents or booths or, or tabernacles, if you would, um, known as suckas. And, and they would stay in these, these little tabernacles for, for eight days. And they would prepare all year long for this celebration. They'd bring all the right for the first fruits and the first sacrifices. And, and basically, this is, this is uh, of all the Jewish holidays, this was the one you didn't want to miss. This was the fun one. And the point I want to make here before we move on is that John has advanced the timeline six months from now, from John 6 to 7. There's six months in between, and he doesn't explain anything that happened in that six months. And, and I think he does this not because he's trying to, get, trying to give a full account of Jesus' uh, Jesus's life and how he spent his time, but rather how the events of Jesus' life lined up with the Father's timeline. Notice, though, in verses 3 and 4 that Jesus' brothers think that they're giving him some pretty good advice. They tell him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret, and since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. The problem with Jesus' brothers is that they think they know his agenda. Now, have you ever noticed how easy it is to know what other people should do? But it's not really really easy to know what we should do. And I think that's because we plan out their agendas. It's easy to assume somebody else's agenda. We think we know what's best for other people, but the truth is is that we don't really even know what's best for us. Maybe that should temper us a little bit in dealing with other people. I don't know. But verse 5, he shows us it shows us something difficult to understand. It says that Jesus' brothers gave him this advice. And they thought it was great advice, but they didn't believe in him. Why is this hard? I think it's because um, in verses 3 and 4, we get to see that they witnesses, witnessed the miracles Jesus was doing. They got to see these incredible things that their brother was doing. And Jesus' own family got to witness these incredible things he could do, but they simply would not believe in him at least not until after the resurrection. And you know, to be truthful, I don't know that I can really fault them for this. I mean, could you imagine what it must have been like growing up with Jesus as your older brother? Talk about living in your older brother's shadow. Man, James, why can't you be more like Jesus? Jesus ate all his peas. You know, why, why can't you? 
Like Mary didn't have a my child made the honor a honor roll bumper sticker on the back of her donkey, but a, my child made the whole universe no big deal bumper sticker. I mean, like if you had to grow up next to Jesus, wouldn't you be a little bitter? I mean, just a little bit. I can attest. You know, I'm the youngest born, and I, I can I can I, you know my I grew up in my older brother's shadow. My brother's great at sports and all these other things. And and what, what I think was true uh, is that even as I've gotten older. I've had people thank me for advice. Like, hey, John, you give some pretty good advice. I, I, I want to say I'm great at giving advice. I'm not great at following my own advice, which is the truth. But you know what? what's true is that like, because of sibling rivalry, I can't even tell my, my siblings anything. And you know what? They can't really tell me anything. Like, you don't know. Get away from here. Get away from here. I don't, I don't like you. Get away. So, so I think here's some encouragement for, from Scripture is that after the resurrection— James, the brother of Jesus, becomes one of the pillars of the early church. So if Jesus' own brothers can learn to believe in him, that God would reveal it to his own brothers, that there's nobody that God can't reach. But, you know, that's just my spin on it. Notice, though, that Jesus' response, he gives a response to his brother's advice. He tells them, the right time has not yet come. And he tells them, for you, the any time is right. And what does Jesus mean by that? I think what Jesus meant was that that his brothers weren't living their lives according to God's timetable. They weren't they weren't living their lives according to God's watch. They 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 acted impulsively. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever acted impulsively? You ever done something you wish you hadn't? Because that's often what happens. And with the help of my wife, I'm learning to be a little less impulsive, but I can tell you I've made some pretty dumb impulsive moves in my life. Uh, pretty dumb purchases. All of them were out of impulse. Every single one. Now, I think what, what determines, we say, well, how do we know something's impulsive? I think for me, the answer to that question is that I didn't take time to consult with God first. The really dumb ones I didn't in, in, in consult my wife on, but, you know, I, I think that's true. I think impulsiveness is are the decisions that we make that we didn't first consult with God. Because if God gives us the peace to make a purchase or to, to make a move, uh, we 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 know it's the right one, and and I didn't consult God several times. I just went in and did it. And when this happens, I almost always end up regretting it. Like one time, Aaron and I were going to go off and, and and buy buy a new mattress, and we were totally sucked into the advertisement that said eighty percent off mattresses. Who could pass that up? And and. And, you know, they weren't lying. There was a mattress that was 80% off MSRP, but it felt a lot like laying on a concrete floor. You know, let me tell you, before we got out of there, we had purchased a whole new bedroom set, and we were several thousand dollars in debt as a result. Sucker. Impulsive moves. We always regret them, don't we? Well, I just have some advice for you from personal experience. Anytime you see an advertisement that says, you have to buy it right now, time is running out, just be cautious, okay? Anyway, I digress. When, when we act impulsively or, or according to our own timetable, we most always, almost always regret it. So the question is, is, how can I know when the timing is right? Well, to answer that question, I think we really have to study the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus' brothers insisted that he go... And, and, and they told him, you know, time is running out. If you want to get out there, you got to be out there, man. If you want to get what you want, you got to put yourself out there. Yet Jesus told them, no, no, the timing's not right. He even explained that the world hated him because he testified that what they did was evil. 
And he finishes by telling me, you go to the feast. I'm not going yet. The time's not right. So how does Jesus know when the timing is right? Jesus knows when the timing is right because he's focused on the right timetable. Jesus didn't ask, what do I want out of life? No, no, Jesus sat around and asked, Father, what do you want from my life? Now, this will never make sense to the world. This is what Paul referred to as the foolishness of the gospel. Why in the world would I bypass what I wanted? Doesn't it make sense? If I bypass the things that I want, I'm never going to get them. Nobody's ever going to get from me what I want unless I get it for myself. To which I think Jesus would argue, "Mm, you don't even know what you really want. Think about it this way. In the Garden of Eden, did Adam and Eve want for anything? No. Why not? Because God gave them all they wanted and needed. It it wasn't the fruit from the trees in the garden. It was the presence of God that truly fulfilled them. And Jesus knew that mankind really needed what they really needed because, because that's what the Father is focused upon. God knows we need Him. And to be able to stand in His presence, our sin must be paid for. And sin introduced a whole new set of desires in us ungodly desires sinful desires selfish desires sin causes us to ask the question what do i want out of life and not god what do you want from my life in the garden that was the original purpose of adam and eve to exist to fulfill god's commands and desires to bring god the most glory so jesus focus remains on that question god What do you want? And before I continue on this point, I want to show just the beauty of God bringing Jesus into the world when he did. I mean, because it's awesome. Rome was a political power at this point, and they oppressed the Jewish nation. So the Jews felt they needed a Messiah now more than ever. And that's why they were in eager anticipation and constantly asking the question, is this the prophet we've been waiting for? Could this be the Christ? Is this the Messiah? And in next week's message, we're going to see how how more of the divine timetable that God worked off of. But this week, I just wanted you to remember that that there's three special festivals of the Jewish nation. Remember I said there's the Passover, the the, the Festival of Weeks, and the the Festival of Tabernacles? Well, next week, we're going to read about how the Jews try to seize Jesus and kill him at the end of the Festival of Tabernacles. But God is a tabernacle for his son because he protected him because the timing wasn't right. Well, when was was the right time that Jesus be crucified? Jesus was crucified on the Passover. Remember how the 10th plague from uh, Egypt uh, came upon Egypt and it was the angel of death, which took over, uh, took every one of the firstborn children except from those who had the blood of the lamb covering over the mantle of the door frames. You remember that story, the 10th plague, the angel of death, the Passover was the passing over of the angel of death. Well, uh, for the Jewish people, Jesus was crucified on the Passover to show us how death comes for all of us except the ones who have the blood of the lamb covering over the mantle of their hearts. You see, for us, he delivers us from the bondage of sin. Sin or Death passes us over because of Christ, the Passover. Well, 
on the day of Pentecost, the last day of the Festival of Weeks, 50 days after the, um, the, the Passover, Pentecost means 50, that it commemorates their day of Pentecost, commemorated the giving of the law. God gave the law to the Israelites. The Holy Spirit in the church comes to commemorate the fulfillment of that law in Christ. 2,000 years previous, when the law was given, 3,000 people were killed on the day of Pentecost. 2,000 years later, the church is sealed with the Holy Spirit, and Peter stood up and preached the gospel, and 3,000 people were saved. I, I tell you this because... God used each of these festivals, these, these required um, um, times when Jews were re- required to come to Jerusalem. He used each of these three to communicate that he has a plan, it is perfect, and he fulfills his plan according to his timetable. And Jesus, see, Jesus was always focused on that timetable. Why did God do this? Because Jesus came to save the Jews and use the symbolism that they should have understood. And as Jesus said, I have come only to the lost sheep of Israel. Israel's salvation came first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, because they rejected him. Now, this is how Jesus knew to say the timing isn't right. You see, when we're disappointed because our plans don't come to fruition, it's because we're not looking at our lives through the proper lens. We shouldn't look at our time, our finances, our relationships, our church, and ask the question, hmm, what do I want? If we want to live free from disappointment, we have to synchronize our watches with God's and ask God the question, God, what do you want? And you know, that sounds so easy, but the truth is, is that is like one of the most difficult things to do. It's, it, it's death. To our plans. To this, we have to understand that everything that we have, it isn't ours. It's not our time. It's God's time, and we're stewards of it. It's not our finances. It's God's finances, and we're stewards of it. It's not our church. It's God's church, and we're stewards of it. And I can't tell you how often I have been frustrated because things didn't go according to plan. And when it happens, I just want to mope around and crawl under a rock and die. And I, because I feel like God's keeping me in the dark. But truthfully, it's not because God has kept me in the dark. It's because I've been wandering around in the dark trying to make my own path. This is, this, this is a beautiful truth. There's a beautiful truth. And that is that God has invited us into his plan. He's given us light so we could see. God will only show us his plan, though, when we abandon ours. And you think about that. Well, that sounds really easy, but I'm telling you, that is not easy to do. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was about to be taken away and crucified, he prayed the prayer, Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross and suffer. He didn't want to be the ransom for sin. In fact, he prayed, God, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Yet if he hadn't surrendered to the Father's will, we would still be in our sin and we would be headed for hell. And in those moments when things don't go according to plan, we can ask ourselves, 
how did Jesus really turn his life over at that moment? I mean, that's such a huge demand from the Father. How did Jesus do it? You see, Jesus wasn't able to turn over his life just randomly. Jesus was able to turn his life over in the big areas because he consistently made a habit of sacrificing his desires over in the small areas. Jesus constantly surrendered his plan over to God. In other words, you can't live for your plan and your agenda and yourself all your life and then expect to turn everything over to God when it really counts. The smaller times of sacrifice lead to the bigger ones. Which is why Jesus might have said, he who can be entrusted with little can be entrusted with much. Jesus didn't serve two masters. In fact, he said in in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now you think about that for a second. You can't serve God, what he's essentially saying is you can't serve God and yourself. You can't be committed to your plans and God's plan at the same time. And, and while the world tells us you need to really go after what you want, keep in mind that the only plan that's going to come to fruition is God's. And I think this is hard because we, we think we see the, quote, good right in front of us. I know what I want, God. But do we really? You know, we have to trust and understand that God's plan, God's timing, it's always perfect. And it's difficult for us to trust Him because we think we know what good is. Listen, church is chicken. They just straight up lie to you. They don't know what good is. The serpent deceived Eve into tasting the forbidden fruit because he tempted her with knowing good and evil. And the truth is that our knowledge of evil alters our perception of what is good. We think we know what good is, but we don't. We don't know what is good for us. We have no idea. And I'm going to spend more time talking about this a little bit more next week, but today I just want us to try to understand that God doesn't want us to have what we think is good. He doesn't want us to have better. He wants us to have best. And we have to trust that God is going to bring us what is best. In fact, he sets what's best in front of us to pursue, and if we will ask him, he will show us what is best. Think about it this way. What do you absolutely cherish in your life? Do you have things in your life that you absolutely cherish and you cannot live without because you acquired them for yourself? Or did God bring those things to you? (laughs) The only thing I, I really have true value in my life, the best things... Those have been things that God gave to me, people that God gave to me. God knows what is best, and although we make decisions from time to time, if we rely upon him, he will bring us what is best. That's what Paul says in Philippians 1, 9-11. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern, to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. You see, the Holy Spirit will show us what is best 
if we look to Christ and his glory and abandon our own plans and agendas. When your plans fall through and you find yourself disappointed, ask yourself, do I really want to keep going through this cycle? I mean, do I really want to make plans just to watch them fall apart all over again? Because maybe I might be doing things according to the wrong timetable. Maybe my life isn't all about me and what I want. Maybe I should instead learn to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Maybe I should learn to pray that prayer as soon as possible. Maybe I should start right now. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.